Would you take a wish from a genie? Ooh. We roll, we roll, right? Sure. It's Nine. Eighteen. One? <laughs> one? Yeah, we'll go with one. Uh, so, answer your own question. James, as is tradition. It depends if I have time to figure out the wording of the question. If it's in the moment and I have to decide right away, no. Yeah. But if I have a couple days to work on the wording, I would definitely do it. I would hire a few lawyers and get this wording down. <laughs> a whole legal team. A whole legal team to, to make through. this wish. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I Honestly, I would do the same thing. Yes, I would take a wish from a genie, but I gotta think it through. I think James is on. You gotta get a legal team. So yeah, I I probably wouldn't just because I wouldn't believe they're a genie. I'd be like, yeah, fucking right. I'm so out of here. So would you be like, yeah, sure. I wish for this because you don't believe them. Oh yeah, actually, probably you I would. Just yeah, I fucked myself yourself. over. Yeah. yeah, but at least at that point, I think it might work out better because it would be less selfish of a wish. Genies usually give you malicious responses to no matter what you wish. Yeah, but I mean, I might wish for something for a lot of people, so I might be able to spread the misery around. How many ends can you put in there? Like, can I can I wish for a million gold pieces and you don't fuck me over? Like, yeah. Can I do that or what? How many commas do you get? Can I wish for other genies so I can wish away your badness with other genies? Yeah, exactly. Mm. Welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, where we continue our conversation on monsters in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. I am Terry, and with me today are James and Kyle, and this episode is called Genies, the Elements in Style. In this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, this panel of Dungeon Masters is going to sit down and look at the classics but often overlooked group of monsters in 5th edition, the Genies. Well, guys, before we get started, I want to ask, other than Disney's Aladdin, what did you guys know about Genies before we began researching for this episode? Let's roll initiative. 11. 5. That's an 8. James, go first again. Usually something you don't want to deal with because they will screw you over in the wish. Aladdin's Genie from Disney is the exact opposite of most Genie. By my understanding of the lore. Uh, I don't remember the movie well enough to say one way or the other. But honestly, I knew nothing about genies other than Aladdin. And at this point, I still don't really. Yeah. I don't know much about genies outside of Aladdin either. Or I do now after researching them. But I think I assumed that being, uh, you know, trapped or servitude of some kind was part of it. And I guess the wishes, right? The three wishes, that's pretty common mm. um, across like fairy tales and stuff. So yeah. Wishes and servitude. Name of my sex tape. <laughs> okay, before we get any deeper into this episode, let's cut to an ad break. We've previously covered quite a bit in our discussion on Monsters in 5th Edition. For all those episodes and more, you can follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and dozens of other podcast apps. And if you'd like to support us, you can donate through the website, check our store, or join our Patreon and get access to other episodes and series. If you'd like to pay for some ad space on It's a Mimic, or just shout out to a friend, please reach out to us through our email and website that are listed in the show notes below. Hmm. 
Before I say anything else, I want to say thank you to Gregory Lucas for becoming our latest patron. I hope to see you on the patron-only Discord soon. This week on the It's a Mimic Patreon, we return to the topic of the False Hydra and how I used one of the more popular homebrew monsters of 5th edition in my own game. My table is a unique one and very experienced, and I really put the effort into getting them all to grasp the first few clues of a terrible mystery. Unfortunately, even my table of players with a combined D&D experience of roughly 60 years managed to devolve into murder hoboism nearly immediately. You can subscribe to our Patreon to hear more, but for now, let's get back to the episode. Okay, let's do a quick overview on genies then. We'll take five minutes or so to run through this to educate the folks at home. So genies are rare elemental creatures, which we all know from stories and legend. Only a few can be found on the prime material plane in D&D though. The rest reside on the elemental planes where they rule from lavish palaces and are actually attended by worshipful slaves. Genies have a profound sense of entitlement that stems from the knowledge that few creatures, except of course gods and other genies, can challenge their power. And a genie is actually born when the soul of a sentient living creature, in the lore that doesn't um, say whether or not it's, it's humanoids or otherwise, but a sentient living creature melds with the primordial matter of the elemental plane, occasionally creating a genie. Although they do resemble humanoid beings, genies are elemental spirits that have been given a physical form. They do not mate with other genies or produce genie offspring, as all new genies are born out of the same mysterious fusion of spirit energy and elemental power that I just mentioned. However, uh, in some sources of lore, you will find that there's tales of uh, if a stronger connection to its mortal soul, uh, a genie might still choose to sire a child with a mortal, although such offspring are rare, as genies typically have no connection with their former life. That is dotted into the lore, but I feel like it's a part of the lore that I wouldn't adhere to, because it kind of goes directly against the other explanation that they never made with humans. So I would just kind of probably just skip over that. I think. Wait, what do you mean? So, in most of the lore, in D&D lore, it will say that genies are created by their uh, their spirit being melded with primordial matter of an elemental plane. And then mm. occasionally, it will say that genies can reproduce, if they have a strong connection with their soul from when they were living, they can still mate with humanoids to create another genie. Yeah. But most of the sources of lore disagree with that. So I feel like I would also just disagree with that because it's a complication that is not necessary. You could just put the caveat in there was a sorcerer in between. Yeah. You so could, you were born, you became a sorcerer, you gained enough elemental power and became a genie. You could do that way. Yeah. I think I am just all about simplifying things. Yep. So if it's like, if it doesn't... But if that's already part of lore, you're kind of cutting out a part of lore. Right, but it's a complicated part of love because okay, so it says like, they don't meet with other genies. It, don't, yeah. it doesn't say they don't meet with other human or with it does. humans. It says the only way that they're created is from their uh, meeting with a human. Soul, no, their soul melding with primordial matter from the elemental yeah, place. Yeah, how they're created. Yeah, but they when they mate with a mortal, it doesn't make another genie. It does. That's no, what it I does. just said. said. It does. It, it makes it like a genie light, right? Like the warlock patron. No, it's the lore that he was talking about. It makes another genie. Okay, well then that's fucking dumb. Because most of it says they don't, and then occasionally you'll find some lore that says that that's another way that they could reproduce. I'm mm -hmm. just saying I probably would not include that. So when a genie perishes, it leaves nothing behind. 
So if you like to loot bodies, there's no body to loot. Uh, the only thing it'll leave behind, excuse me, is actually what it's wearing and carrying, uh, along with a small trace of its native element, so that, you know, a pile of dust or a gust of wind or a flash of fire or some smoke or something. Uh, and genies view slaves as living property. Buckle up, guys. We're going to talk about slavery again in D&D. Okay, just <laughs> buckle up, all right? I know. Genies view slaves as living property, and a genie without property amounts to nothing among its own kind. So to have a lot of slaves is seen as a sign of success. As a result, many genies treasure their slaves, treating them as honored members of their household. See, Kyle, they're nice to you. Oh, God. <laughs> you can't leave, but they're nice to you. Uh, Self will rise again, right? Wow. That's what we're going for. <laughs> <laughs> no. However, evil genies freely threaten and abuse their slaves, but never to the extent that the, the slaves are no longer useful. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least we know they're pragmatic. <laughs> yeah, right. In contrast to their, their love of slaves, most genies, of course, loathe being bound to service themselves because, yeah, nobody would like that. Uh, and a genie obeys the will of another only when bribed or compelled to by magic. All genies command the power of their native element, but a rare few also power, also possess the power to grant wishes. For both of these reasons, mortal mages often seek to bind genies into service, like we've seen in, uh, in Aladdin. Okay, so genies, more powerful genies, do have variant powers. So genies have a variety of magical capabilities, and these include spells, but a few have even greater powers that allow them to A, alter their appearance, or B, alter the nature of reality. So some genies, for example, can innately cast the disguise self-spell at will, uh, and this will often be a longer duration that is normally known with that spell. Mightier genies can even cast the true polymorph spell, again with a longer duration. These kinds of genies can only change their own shape, but a rare few of these already rare genies can actually use this spell on other creatures and objects as well. Okay, wishes, the good bit. So genies, powerful genies, have the power to grant wishes. Only the most potent genies can do this, and it notes in most of the lore that they're typically noble genies, and it's usually one to three wishes to a creature that is not itself a genie. Once the genie has granted its limit of wishes, it cannot grant wishes again for this, for an amount of time, and I, most of the lore states that that's one year, and cosmic law, cosmic law, uh, dictates that the same genie can expend its limit of wishes on a specific creature only once in that creature's existence. So Kyle, if a genie gives you three wishes, you get your three wishes, and then you can never get three wishes from that genie again. In this term of existence. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you can go to a different existence, you can get three more wishes. Ah, yeah, that's a thought. Yeah, no. that Fingers crossed. What counts as a year? Because a year on Mercury is like, what, 33 days? James, and a year on get, Earth is 365. I was saying this yeah. with Kyle and Adam in the last episode. Considering this is a fantastic game, we try and pin as much <laughs> physics into it as possible. Not well, possible. Why not? I was uh, saying it's not possible. I'm just saying what are the qualifications of the year? I yeah. imagine... But if it just involves being uh, classified as a different planet, can you not have that part of your discussion of terms? I don't know, James. Yeah. I'm already tired of being here. <laughs> <laughs> this is the type of question where a player would ask you and you go, I don't fucking know because I didn't write the book. Okay, yeah. One year. Whatever planet they're on when they get the wishes. Yes. Okay. Now, depending on the genie's nature, the genie might try to pervert the intent of the wish uh, by exploiting the wish's poor wording. We kind of touched on that off air. Uh, and the perversion of the wording is usually crafted to be the genie um, towards the genie's benefit. Okay, let's get into the conversation about genies then, and let's uh, roll initiative for thoughts on the following. What's that? Guy? What does that count? Uh, I don't know. We suck at this, don't we? 
what's going wrong is too difficult to explain to the folks at home. Just yeah. understand that something's going wrong. I got a six, you got an eight, Kyle, and James got a three. So I'll answer my own question first. Why don't we just do this? Why don't we do that for the <laughs> For the folks at home, we've been rolling on a dice tray which was upside down, thus no. they were falling off the edges and into our little crinkly piece of soundproofing here. Okay, people often like to use dragons or devils in disguise as NPCs. Are there any unique circumstances when you think a genie might be more appropriate for a disguised monster? For my answer, I think because genies are often themselves slaves or servants, which is the opposite of devils and dragons, um, it's a different dynamic. So it may be more inclined to cooperate, not poison the deal. I know by the law some genies will try and pervert the deal, but a lot of genies are also good aligned. And so they may try and strengthen a bond with a deal, I think, um, if it's a good aligned genie, as opposed to uh, fiends and dragons, which are most likely going to try and just screw you over every time, I imagine. Hmm. Oh, it's me. Uh, I would say when you want a semi-godlike villain or NPC who is also kind of dumb but represents, you know, the embodiment of selfishness and greed. Sure, it works. Yeah, James? I wouldn't necessarily use them as a villain, per se. I would use them as someone uh, quiet in town but extremely important, like as a shopkeeper. Right. Like, if you become friends with them, they always have the equipment that your party needs. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. your paladin comes in comes in needing a holy sword. They happen to have a holy sword that day. Right. They have the rogues returning daggers. They have the druids' circlet of intelligence or whatever. Yeah. They always mm-hmm. have these things because they really like your party. They just think it's a really good shopkeeper. But it's a gene. Sure. Bringing these things into existence for them. And if they dig into it, give them clues to find out, and they have ways to make them an active member of their party. Yeah. Not necessarily an active party member, but a useful resource that's always available to them. That's true. So, all genies are CR11, which means early tier 3, but late in most of the published adventure modules. How do you guys feel about genies being able to grant wishes? I'll answer my own question first. I think, yes, that's fine, but be prepared for what that can mean. It's... It's when you're trying to pervert wishes or wishes are being included in your campaign from players, it's very difficult to predict what that wish is going to be and thusly the kind of ripple effect of the outcome. So I'm not opposed to it, but it's just a lot more thinking that's going to need to be involved. And if you can make those consequences known early so that everybody's on the same page and you can start to deal with it early as well, because things are going to get a little bit uh, screwy at that point. So the juice must be worth the squeeze if you're going to allow wishes. Remember, it is not an essential part of having genies in your game. So if you think it's going to be too much to deal with, just remove the wishes. You're not going against the law if you do that. Yeah, I would say pretty much the same thing, but why not, right? Like, unless the party feel powerful without tipping the scales too much because i mean it is a limited wish and these are mm, a lot more open to perversion than a regular wish spell right so yeah sure you in might all honesty i'd rather take it in D D. i'd rather take a genie wish to a normal wish spell every D- uh, dm i've played with will fuck me over on the wish spell yeah. long before a good aligned character will fuck me it's over. It's a puzzle in itself. Spell. A wish spell okay. is a puzzle in itself, right? Yeah, but I mean, also the genies aren't all good aligned. But if I'm taking a genie's wish 
Yes, I will take the risk on a bad aligned, but I'm guaranteed to take a good aligned genie wish. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like you have pretty forgiving DMs then normally when it comes to... A general wish spell, or your party dies. Yeah. You, I, you don't make a wish spell with most of the DMs I play with. Unless, as I said in the beginning, cold open, you bring a lawyer with you. <laughs> you have it worded out so it's flawless. Yeah. Because they will scrutinize it for a week to find your one loophole. Every DM I played with, including Adam, yeah. to screw you. Okay, well, I mean, it sounds like it's pretty DM-specific, that. Yes. So, it, it could change a lot. But, I mean, I I don't see why not. And also, just because the genie's there doesn't mean they have to grant the wish. You don't have to opt for that variant rule. And maybe they don't meet the requirements of what the genie wants to give them that wish. Sure. For me, I would bind that wish to the genie's life. Whether perverted or not. So if that genie lives for a year, that wish is permanent. If they die within that year, the wish can be broken. So if you do something as a DM to change that wish to go against the party, they can hunt that genie down and fix it. Okay. If the party has taken that power you've given them, and they're now being murder hobos across the whole capital, that genie happened to die in the background, and now they've lost all this power. Mm -hmm. So it's a way to keep your party in check, but also give them the agency to reverse that wish. Okay. Because yeah. if you uh, say they make a wish to save their one player from vampirism, but the wish turns to turn everyone into a vampire, well, that's kind of rude to a party to do with no way to fix it. Yeah. Or no way to easily fix it. Well, yeah. hunting down a genie together is a pretty easy way to fix it, but besides trying to find potions or whatever. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's a, a cool idea. I like it. How do you feel about wishes that have been twisted or come up with unintended consequences, uh, which is exactly what we were just talking about? I think play fair as a DM. Remember, the game is supposed to be fun. Yes, it's a wish spell in itself is like a puzzle because there's kind of going to be something screwy to it. But think, go along the lines of yes and, not yes cripple. Like, don't automatically mm. just try and find ways to cripple them, but try and find the ways to twist it so that it's interesting and still fun for the party. Yeah. Uh, to me, that's just kind of the nature of wishes, right? There's always the law of unintended consequences. So I think there should... doesn't matter if it's the wish spell or a genie or however the fuck you got the wish. I think there should always be something that's not quite right with it. Yes, I agree with you. You shouldn't cripple the party, Right? You shouldn't take away that gift you gave them. Mm -hmm. Right? But I do think that there will always be something, regardless of how well you word it. Beauty. Okay, let's go into our... Basically what I said before. Agency to fix it. If, especially if you're coming from a lower beam. Yeah. Sorry, James. I forgot you get a turn in this whole thing. <laughs> okay, Terry. I'm used to it from here. Oh, rude. Rude. Okay, let's go into our genie breakdowns then. I will go first. I will touch on the gin first. So gin, pronounced either Ginny or genie. Okay, I think Harry Potter's ruined the first one there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I are... thought the Ginny was plural. Sorry, um, you're right. Ginny is plural, but that word is pronounced Ginny or genie. Mm, okay. Yeah, that was not clear on my part. Okay, so gin. No, singular is Ginny. Plural is Gin. Oh, okay. Does that mean that it can be Gin or Jean? Because I don't like that. <laughs> Single Jean. And these are creatures born from the elemental chaos, having aided the primordials in their ancient battle with the gods over the 
over control of Faerun, apparently, and most were imprisoned in common objects or scattered. The few who were free sought to reclaim their power. They embodied the chaotic force of violent storms while possessing benevolent minds. I thought that was quite interesting, that they're still benevolent, but their nature itself is that of violent storms. Uh, only the noble jinn possess the power of the wish. I think that's going to be the case for most, if not all, genies, but I'm not sure. I'll hear from you guys. Jinn resembled extremely... And this is from the lore, okay? Jinn resembled extremely tall, averaging ten and a half feet in height, human men and women that were well-muscled and physically fit. Their features were aristocratic and considered attractive by human standards. Their skin tone ranged from pale blue to a more common olive brown or dark tan. Their eyes are usually brown, but they can be uh, blue. Genie garments were typically shimmering silk, and this is designed for comfort and to flaunt their muscular physiques. Jinn wild but benevolent creatures as a whole. While no genie enjoys being enslaved, Jinn were the most tolerant of temporary servitude to mortals. They were forgiving of mortal masters' flaws, and those flaws even amused them at times. They view short-term servitude as determined by fate and knew that no one could defy one's fate. So if they came under servitude, they just kind of thought it was part of their fate. Uh, however, long-term servitude would still upset them. They uh, would not forgive any kind of betrayal and they would usually avenge this with death. But Jin do treat their slaves more like servants. They believe that their servants are deserving of kindness and protection. Uh, although they would part with them reluctantly, they would actually let their servants leave if they, uh, if they really wanted to or they had a good case to argue for it. Okay, let's take a little look at the stat block then. Ginny was singular. I always get this mixed up. Ginny's singular. Now I'm fucked up with it too. <laughs> so the gin or the genes. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, large elementals, they're chaotic good. They're, they have natural armor, which gives her an armor class of 17. Their hit points are averaging at 161. Their speeds, they have two different speeds. Their standard speed is of 30 feet, but they get a fly speed of 90 feet. So basically, my gin will always be flying. Yeah. yeah. Strength and constitution, they're two top stats, followed just by charisma, and they still have a well above average dexterity, intelligence, and wisdom. Saving throws are dexterity, wisdom, and charisma. They have two damage immunities, lightning and thunder. They do get dark vision, and they have a pretty good passive perception of 13. Language is Auron, and their challenge rating, like all genies, is 11. For their abilities, or their, uh, their traits here, they get elemental demise, which is the same for all genies, I believe. So if the genie dies, its body disintegrates into a warm breeze, leaving behind only the equipment the genie was wearing or carrying. The, it likely won't be a warm breeze for the others. It'll be something uh, related to their elements. They get innate spellcasting. Let me try and read their spells here. It's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit small. So three times per day... They can cast each of Create Food and Water, Tongues, Windwalk, and then once per day, Conjure Elemental, Creation, Gaseous Form, Invisibility, Major Image, and Plane Shift. Mm. Yeah, they get a multi-attack, they get three scimitar attacks, and one of their actions is to create Whirlwind, which essentially creates a five-foot radius and 30-foot tall uh, cylinder of, of swirling air, uh, which magically forms on a point of the their choosing, and that can be within 120 feet. There is a strength saving throw associated with that. That comes in at DC 18. Uh, if not, there's damage and the creature affected is pushed 60 feet. Okay, so that's it for genies. Man, my writing is so... I'm reading off my phone, which is why I have this pause. <laughs> and I like paste it in stat blocks, and I'm trying, which I will delete later for uh, legal reasons. Uh, and then I have to like zoom in on it, which is why I have to do these pauses. Okay, so that's uh, that's uh, gin as a whole. So let's roll initiative. We'll start to talk about some quests and exploration. I got a five. Seven. Seven. 
Oh, 13. 13. Kyle, my first question for you. Uh, what are your thoughts on the following uh, for, for Jin? Quests? Um, so, I like the idea of one that has been trapped by an evil wizard underground, but the wizard's long dead. So, this Jin is just going crazy under the earth because it can't see the sky, which is what they love, right? Mm-hmm. And so, the whole idea is that you have to go around and figure out what's binding it to this plane and then break them all so you can free it. Mm. I like it. I like it. Who's next? Was it you, James? I think so. Okay, go ahead. Um, you have to get a wizard away from a djinn that he thinks he's imprisoned, but isn't. So the djinn has convinced the wizard he's imprisoned for some other nefarious purpose. But the wizard's not going to give up his free wish machine. So how do you go about it? Mm. Mm. I like it. I like the idea of having a quest based around the a party of willing servants that need to help the genie, the jinn, the genie, fuck, the genie escape their own service in exchange for their freedom. So, because the genie can have its own servants, but it can also be in servitude to something else. But genie, uh, jinn are happy to also release their servants as well, is, you know, providing they have a good argument. So it's basically, help me, and then I will release you from servitude to them. So everybody gets released. Kyle, what about role playing? Uh, so for these guys, I kind of imagine them treating mortals, uh, like adorable pets, you know, like, oh, look at you, big guy, like little scamp, right? Like kind, nice enough, um, but still condescending, like all genies. Yeah. I see them as being like bad companies when they try and win you over with things other than just giving you a pay rise (laughs) where it's like pizza party on Fridays. I don't want a fucking pizza party. I need to pay my rent. (laughs) Like they will just give you anything (laughs) apart from more money. Come Uh, on. We're family here. Come on. We're not a family. I've got a family. Yeah. And you don't fire family this quickly. (laughs) Um, But I I think you still need to be courteous and clear. You can, you still, uh, you know, I think uh, a genie would still try and build trust with you and would discourage perversion. Uh, But I feel like they would always treat you like they're the boss and like almost Mm -hmm. like the, like they have to kind of talk down to you or like, oh, they're rattling their cages again. Okay. Offer them a pizza party. See if you can (laughs) calm down for another week. So kind of like that. Similar to both of you, but more of the, you're going to your friend's five-year-old's fifth birthday. That kind of attitude. Like, yeah. you don't want to be there dealing with them, but you mm. have commitments to others you care about around them. Yeah. Okay. So you got to deal with it. You're not going to be happy about it. Or you're not going to show your displeased. Mm. Yeah. 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 Or right. like they have no idea how to talk to you. Yeah. Like what level you, yeah. I don't know at what point when, how you talk to a five-year-old compared to an eight-year-old. But there is a difference. Yeah. Like an eight-year-old yeah. would be like, don't talk to me like I'm an idiot. <laughs> like, I don't know <laughs> who are. So <laughs> I remember a side note. I was at this party one time. This guy brought his kid and his kid was like, nine or something and like went to the bathroom and uh they one of the like a, adults that does not have kids knew he was basically just taking a shit or something and was like hey uh your kid's done in the bathroom and the dad was like drinking a beer he was like i don't care and he was like i don't know if you've got to do it like i don't know when that's over is it nine when does that start that would be me i don't know i wouldn't say anything uh kyle the tough one exploration uh, I mean, I think this is kind of in the same vein as the quest, uh, but you could use a trapped djinn um, to let the party know they are about to come across a powerful wizard who has it trapped. Mm-hmm. And then it can also offer, you know, gifts in return for its freedom. Right. 
I like using monsters' abilities as part of the puzzles, not necessarily combat. I first did it when I was running uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen, and there's uh, there's no real spoiler here. Uh, right in the very first episode, there's like um, there's a, a blue dragon, and instead of going into combat with a blue dragon, I kept him high and just used the breath weapon as a, like a puzzle to work around in the streets. Uh, but I would do the same thing with like the the elemental abilities of the genies. You know, the uh, they don't ne- the genie doesn't necessarily need to be present for combat, but you can use it as like a regional effect or essentially uh, some sort of skill challenge. So okay, that's what I would do. Yeah, James, uh, the after effects of a failed uh, binding attempt. Mm. So a destroyed tower or a bunch of just body parts on the inside of a place, or a bunch of wizards tried to summon a gin. Mm-hmm. I love it. Man, you're pulling out creative things today, and you're making me look bad, so stop it, please. Okay. Uh, Kyle, combat? Uh, I mean, I think unless they are crushing the competition or they have something really desperate to fight for, they are going to run away. They are not going to bother to stay and fight. I mean, it says that they love their creature comforts, so why battle with some pesky mortals when you could go back to your castle in the sky? Yeah. Yeah, I like the uh, I like the genie's uh, whirlwind ability. They also get invisibility as one of their spells. I'm definitely using that in combat, and then I will be using thunder wave as well. So basically, I think with a genie, how it's set up is you don't need to be too offensive, but just defensive to hurt the players. Let them try and get to you. They if they can get if they can work their way through the whirlwind. That's great. Try and find me. I'm invisible anyway. By the way, the genie's not affected by their own whirlwind, so I'd stick it right in the middle of that thing. Uh, and then if you do get to me and you do manage to hit me uh, with your melee, even though I'm invisible, you've got to stay there and I'm going to thunder wave you next time. Yeah. So I would just keep every single thing they do. I've got a reaction to that. Well, yeah, they also have the 90-foot fly speed, so why would they even bother me on the ground? Yeah. Plus plane shift. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like they would never go on the offensive. Mm-hmm. They'd be a very defensive fighter. That you come to me, yeah. And if I think you may beat me, I'm just gonna shift planes. Yeah, exactly. And then when you've left my home, I'll shift back, clean up the mess you made, and prepare for you to come again. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Okay, let's take it over to uh, who's next. I uh. believe it's me. For Ifrit. Okay, go ahead. Or 3D or however you want to pronounce it. Okay, then I'll go last. I'll go first and last. Because I've got a second one to do. Okay. You want to do your second one first? Sure. I'll do that first. Yeah, then I'm done. Then I can relax. Switch off. (laughs) (laughs) This Uh, way you don't embarrass yourself when we come out with something more creative. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You take all my... That was actually it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Okay, second one I'm going to do is Marids. I always thought it was Marids, like Marine. Uh, This is the water ones, but apparently it's pronounced Marids. Uh, sometimes pluralized as just the Marid in general. Uh, these are powerful genies that are native to the elemental plane of water. The average Marid stands a towering 16 to 18 feet tall, looking down upon all other genies at the tallest kind of genie. By the law, this is interesting, Marids are considered beautiful genies whose skin matched all of the hues of the vast ocean. They're considered to be beautiful, but I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of a Marid. Mm. It's just like a really fat fish. Okay, it's like a really fat fish genie. Um, maybe when they're talking about beauty, they're talking about the the you know the colors and the hues within their skin. I don't think them. They, I mean, they look like a fish, so whatever. Uh, while usually blue, in fact, marids change their skin color to reflect their current mood, with the darker shades of blue indicating anger. Could that description be coming from second edition? Um, 
no. Because that's the Marid from 2nd edition. Oh, is it really? Yeah. That is completely different. Yeah, for they those... get gross after 2nd edition. Yeah, for those folks at home, James is showing me a picture of a beautiful Marid. Looks... Blue alien woman, and then the rest gets scaly and... Right, and then it goes, yeah, yeah, then it goes real fish. Like, okay, well, that makes sense. Well, well, they're originally from Arabic folklore. Yeah. Uh, Most marids have blue, black, or dark gray hair, though white-haired marids uh, do exist. Well, they don't exist, we don't say. Generally speaking, the white-haired marids were the the most turbulent of their kind. Like frothing water turbulence? I guess, yeah, I guess. Uh, water is a marid's native element, and the genie can manipulate the water in virtually any way it desires. A marid can even walk on the water, and it can breathe naturally beneath the surface of water. Uh, marids can create water or shape clouds of fog and mist from the vapor in the air, and they can even transform themselves into mist or use water as a weapon to bludgeon their foes. Marids are a vehemently independent and proud people, and they tend to shift their moods rapidly. Like all genies, though, they are curious about life on the material plane, but they typically have the least impact on that plane of all of the genies because they they consider everyone else beneath their notice, which I think is quite interesting because they're the most because they are the most turbulent, um, because they are uh, their their mood shifts the most, and because they are going to be able to have such a great impact on their material plane. It's interesting that they don't. It's almost like they wouldn't really even consider what happens if they do change something. Which is uh, mm-hmm. what I quite like about them. Okay, let me zoom in on this uh, uh, this blurry stat block here. So, okay, so large elementals, chaotic neutral, uh, armor class is seventeen. Higher average hit points at two twenty nine. They get three speeds: thirty feet standard speed or walking speed, flying speed of sixty feet, and they get a swimming speed of ninety feet. Constitution is their highest stat, followed by strength and then intelligence. They have a pretty good wisdom, uh, charisma, and dexterity is still out of an average human, really. I think even a little bit higher at 12. Saving throws, they get dexterity, wisdom, and charisma. Damage resistances to acid, cold, and lightning. Blindsight, they get dark vision. Language is aquan. Challenge rating, of course, is 11. And they're considered amphibious, so they can breathe air and they can breathe water. Their elemental demise is their body disintegrates into a burst of water and foam. They still leave behind any of the equipment that they were carrying or wearing. Okay, for their innate spell casting then. So at will, they can do create or destroy water. They can detect evil and good, detect magic, fog cloud, purify food and drink. Three times per day, each of tongues, water breathing and water walk. And then once per day for each of conjure elemental, but it's water elementals only. Uh, control water, gaseous form, invisibility, and plane shape. They get a they get a multi attack as well. Uh, different to the genie I just talked about, they get two trident attacks, and they also get a water jet attack. And uh, there's a dexterity saving throw with that. And on a failure, the target will take six d six bludgeoning damage. And if it's huge or small, it is pushed up to twenty feet away from the marid and knocked prone. Okay, are we ready to roll? Let's do it. <laughs> 15. No, you got a 1. I got a 1. Oh, that's a 17. 9 and 17. Nine. <clears throat> uh, Kyle, you're going first. Quest. Uh, so, I was thinking about this. Um, since they really like skilled slaves, right? They take in um, artisans, people who can create beautiful things. Um, my quest idea is to have a king who has all his patroned artists start to go missing. And he has no idea where they're going, so he hires your party to come and find them. And there's three artists left in his thing. And then the Marid is one of them. And it's just like chilling there, waiting for new 
awesome artists to come in so he can like boot them back to his kingdom. Sure. I love it. Yeah, that'd be cool. James. For me, you have to get their attention. Okay. You, you're beneath them. You are less than an ant to them. How do you interact with something like that? How do you mm-hmm. get something like that to interact with you mm-hmm. on a fundamental level? Beyond, oh, there's an ant and moving on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, an interesting uh, addition is that marids do not require the need to consume food or beverages in order to survive. And so I like the idea of a marid that would uh, interfere with like the, the fishing levels and stuff. Uh, the fish like varieties and the quantities because the affairs of the material plane are beneath them. So they don't even need food, but I just like the idea of them just manipulating the ocean to what they want. And that affects basically everybody else's ecosystem and fishing mm-hmm. and stuff. And it's not because they're evil. It's they're just ignorant and they don't care. So yeah. it's not like an obvious foe. Uh, I think it would be even harder to kind of uh, work around. So I like that. Kyle, role playing? Uh, condescending and self-aggrandizing. Sure. They are the best. They are the greatest. And then they'll talk down to you, right? Um, but they are very receptive to flattery and gifts, just like most people. Mm-hmm. So I think that's pretty much it. James? I feel like their attitude would be like the tides. So sometimes they would be hostile and volatile to you, and other times nothing but a trepid, tepid lake. Yeah. But it's like clockwork. Mm-hmm. You can tell when this happens. You can time it to the day. So you know to make your meetings in late afternoons in the fall or whatever. Yeah. Okay. So you plan yourself around their cycle of the tide, essentially. I think that they will be aware of their changing emotions and they know that their skin is going to change color. And so they're going to take steps to mitigate that. Uh, whether it be, I just like the idea of them having a layer where if they know they're getting angry, they have to go over and like smell their certain flowers or something. Do whatever the ritual is to calm them back down so they can regain control. Meditate, find their center. I kind of, yeah, I kind of like, I think I would lean into like uh, Hades and like the Disney Hercules, you know, where he just gets really pissed off. He <laughs> comes back down and he's like, okay, okay, I'm calm. You just caught me there for a second. Uh, so yeah, I definitely lean into the changing of emotions as well. Uh, exploration, Kyle? I mean, it's excellent for a pirate campaign or anything that's on the water, right? Where maybe your players are stuck and you need some way to... You don't want to hand them the direction to go, but you want to give them a good kick in the right direction kind Mm -hmm. of thing. I would set it up as a clue for a second campaign for when you're done. So imagine that your guys have been trapped on this island in the middle of the ocean. And all of a sudden, this land bridge appears. Well, now they can walk back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your whole party thinks it's their deus ex machina to get out. Mm-hmm. But it's actually the Mrids having their own war on the other side of the continent. Right. And pulled all the water to them. Mm-hmm. So now there's a bit of land exposed. Okay. So if the party wants to explore why this happened, there's a whole new story for you to explore. Right. Mm-hmm. If they never touch it, they've made their own choice. Okay, cool. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Uh, for me, I think I wanted to find a way to make this a cool skill challenge. It sounds like this is a role playing thing I'm going to talk about, but it's, it's, it's not really. In, in having, when you're in their lair, the puzzle is basically that the regional effects will change based on what their emotion is at the time. And so you have to work around that, like leaning into whatever, like if you're, 
you know, if they're getting really pissed off and their regional effects are starting to fuck you up, then you're going to have to, like, persuade them somehow to calm down. But if they, when the emotion changes, the regional effects may change that it, you, it may become your advantage to try and intimidate them to get them more pissed off because then the map will change to how you need to move through, if that makes sense. Basically, the map or the environment will change based on their emotion. So the skill challenge is trying to consciously change their emotion so that the map adjusts to what you need it to do so you can move forwards. Did hmm. I explain that properly? Interesting. Yeah. 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 yeah I'm picking up the just. Okay. So I, what do you think a, a regional effect would be for a Marid? Like they're um, uh, like they, the, you know, when you go like caving on the coast and like, as the waves come in, like it, it goes up or down, like the tide inside the mm-hmm. cave, like, mm-hmm. but you've got to get the doors up there. Right, so you now so the water temple from yeah. Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time. I don't know, I've never played. Zelda. It's exactly that. You have to raise the water levels, go somewhere else, lower yeah. the water levels. Okay, but that would be so one. piss him off to yes. raise the levels, so he's trying to drown so you. you. Can go up to a different then, level. Oh, okay. But then, All but right. then, but it doesn't just need to be yeah. the water level. Whatever yeah. the other emotions do as well, and so that's how you navigate it. So. But mm. uh, yeah, that's my skill challenge: uh, leaning into the Marid's emotions. Uh, Kyle, combat. Uh, I mean, honestly, my tips for all of these are going to be pretty much the same. I don't <laughs> think they are going to engage in combat, really. Right? They're just—it's just not worth their time mm-hmm. because they are so far above you that it's just why trifle themselves with the petty affairs of mortals. So yeah. I think they would like hit you hard and then go away. Mm-hmm. I feel similar to you, but I would add in that when they do decide to attack you, it is extremely aggressive and extremely violent. Mm -hmm. It is beyond and above what should be done. Like, you scuff their shoe, they tear you into three pieces. Yeah. That kind of level of violence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Unapportioned, like, disproportional, pure violence to dissuade anyone from going against them again. Yeah. Like, one ant did this to me and I wiped out your whole country. Mm. Does anyone else want to say anything? Yeah. Complete disregard for, yeah. uh, what do you call it, necessary force? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> necessary force, right. Uh, for me, like, thinking tactically, I would probably be combining the fog cloud spell with their water jet ability so that I can also use attacks of opportunity. So fog cloud, so the area is heavily obscured. You can still fire the water jet really far. And it's, again, it's defensive fighting. And even if they do get close enough to you, you can hit them with the water jet and then you get an attack of opportunity when you move them. So it's just feels like a constant uphill battle to even get close to them. And then to touch on Kyle's point before, they can just plane shift as well if they want to get the fuck out of there. Uh, It would be incredibly frustrating, but that would would be my tactics. Uh, And then the water jet too, it's um, a line attack, right? Like it's like lightning. So it's going to hit everybody. So you just keep moving around so you can hit the maximum amount of people with it and just keep them away. Yep, that's exactly it. Yeah, and it was a dex save, right? So if you drop that fog cloud on them, I think they'll get disadvantage on dex saves, I think, if it's heavily obscured, right? I am... Do not know. It's the same effect as being blinded. I think so, yeah. Okay, who's going next? James? I believe it is me on this one, yeah. So I'm covering the Ifrit or Ifridi. They are from the Elemental Plane of Fire. Obviously, from their look, they're as similar to the other ones. They're 12 feet tall. Over 2,000 pounds, like just giant beefcakes of men and women made of fire and brimstone. They resemble devils, so they're often mistaken for them. Um, yeah, they're supposedly composed of basalt, bronze, and solidified fire, which just sounds really cool. Like a flame heart that's just 
with flame hair coming yeah. off it, some horns and flame eyes, yeah. like real fire pyromaniac inspired. Mm. Fire elementals absolutely avoid the Ifrit or yeah, the Ifrit in the plane of fire because they don't want to be oppressed and attack for opportunities. Because that is what they enjoy doing. The Dao, which is another race, does tolerate the Ifrit and makes trades with them through material goods. The Ifrit will change raw materials for worked metals and worked items. Uh, many races are treated as by the Ifrit by slaves and, or as slaves or servants, but as the others, they don't overly abuse their slaves. They are much more heavy-handed than um, the Dijin, what you were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Honor and acquisition are the most important things to them. So the acquisition of goods, people, items, territories. And another big part of that is their name. Their names are very important for them, and they're usually very long and contain a very deep history. And it's very respectful, lineages, times like that. But when they interact with lesser creatures, they take on simpler names. Uh, anytime an Ifrit is bound... They, if they do not get successfully bound, they will take vengeance out on anyone in the area. They do not take kindly to being bound. And because they look similar to demons, some wizards bind them with the same way they do demons, and that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So it immediately goes wrong for them. So on the stat block, they have an average health of 200, 40 foot movement speed, 60 foot fly speed. Their constitution is the top stat. But nothing is slouching. Their lowest is a 12 in dex, so better than the average human. They're immune to fire. They have a passive of 12. Similar to the others, elemental demise. So they'll burst into fire and smoke and drop all their equipment that they have on. Innate spell casting as well. They can detect magic at will. Which, if I were them, I'd be using almost constantly. Just walking just around. Make sure no spells I don't expect are near me. Yeah. You can use it at will, but I don't have them. Yeah. Active all the time. Oh, yeah. Then three times a day, they can use large reduce tongues. Once a day, they can conjure elemental, only fire elementals. Gaseous form, invisibility, minor or major image, plane shift, and wall of fire. Oh, come on. Because they're immune to fire, too, they can activate their wall of fire and, like, fight right in it, mm-hmm. which is pretty awesome if you ask me. They are uh, also have multi-attack, so they can use their scimitar, which, on average, it's 2d6 plus 6 slashing. And they also have hurl flame, which is a ranged flame attack of 120 feet, and 5d6. Beauty. All right. Let me scroll back up into my notes. We hit these questions. Okay. All right. Let's roll it. I changed dice on you, James. I'm sorry. I got a 10. I got 20. That's a 7. That's, was that the dice I was, yeah. the die I was using before? Yeah, it was. You <laughs> stole my die and I got a 20. James, you go first then. Uh, quest. Um, for them, I found it a lot harder than the place in the other ones. I would say acquiring a good or service for them. Mm-hmm. So finding them that item, finding them that servant, or returning that item or servant to mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's difficult outside of just they would make a great big bed. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. how can they be useful? Uh, maybe, I don't think taming them is the right word, but can you come to an accord with them for some sort of positive service? Yeah. Like, okay, they, they, they create flame and they're very intelligent. Uh, when you can harness fire like that, you can be incredibly useful. 
Um, so I would think some sort of quest around using this evil genie for a positive service, and I would flesh out the details. Later. Okay. Um, for me, I would say they run a mining post. That's not quite slavery. You always bring the most thought out stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what are you talking about? This is, uh, this is my bread and butter, man. I fucking love coming up with villains. Okay, so they run a mining post that's not quite slavery, but it might as well be. Anytime right? somebody's saying not quite slavery, slavery. I'm already... Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, no, it's, it's pretty much slavery. But, okay, so they've hired a bunch of workers and made them sign a contract in blood, but most of their workers can't read or write, so they didn't even know what they were signing, right? Mm-hmm. So they just... Signed up to work at this mining post thinking, oh, this is great money. I'm going to do all this stuff. But then they work them to the bone, like just until they're dead. And then once they're dead, they take possession of all that dead miner's possessions, keeping it all for themselves and just continuing the circle. So like even if they paid them, they still get the money back in the end. And I think it could be good for either in good uh campaign or an evil one right like are you gonna help free these people or are you gonna help bring them more slaves sure yeah no oh why not both you bring them a whole bunch more make a bunch of money and then you free them all and then everyone thinks you're a hero and make a bunch more money yeah Mm -hmm. that would be the real evil campaign yeah that's that's some devious ass shit uh role-playing james uh they're very gruff and proud if you respect them for their authority they have and the acclimate they have, they won't necessarily respect you, but they won't shit on you unnecessarily. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think I view them as being quite uh, prestigious. I, well, maybe not. Yeah. Uh, respect seems to be a big thing, right? In their names. And I think they would speak to the party differently based on what they looked like when they showed up. If you have a noble, they're going to treat that person with more respect. If you have also, someone how much of their true name, you know, I feel like they would treat you with more respect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The more the name you know, the nicer they'll be to you. So yeah. if you only know their mortal name, you're screwed. It's game over. Yeah. That's their slave name, essentially. That's right, that's right. Yeah, I think based on that that kind of thing as well, if you look like shit, they're not going to appreciate you. Uh, depending on what your role is within the party, if you're an intelligent, like if you're a wizard or something, they're going to have more respect for that than like a thief that may mm. look down on you there. Um, so I think uh, role-playing yeah, is going to be very dependent on the, on the party uh, dynamic. Yeah, all right. Yeah, like they wouldn't give a shit about the monk because he's got no earthly possessions. Exactly. Gives it away, like, wow, oh, who is this chump? Yeah. Uh, I'd like, I think they would be cruel and they would like to get one over on people. So when you guys were talking about, um, you know, helping them or trying to find a measure of mutual respect, I think they would always want to have the upper hand mm-hmm. in any situation. Um, and I also just imagine them kind of smiling like, uh, the Grinch. When he decided to come up with that plan to steal everything from Whoville. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's all the plan he had. Yeah. yeah. It's like the sides of his mouth curl up and then his ears curl in. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. just kind of what I imagine when I picture that. Mm, I love it. Uh, exploration, James. This is the hardest one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, exploration clues like the disappearance of valuable people and stuff. Mm-hmm. With the hints of fire left behind. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, it's tough, right? Without hitting it on the nose. I think yeah. regional effects, probably a noticeable change in temperature in the area. Maybe crops are drying out. Uh, you know, farming hasn't been great. Um, I think perhaps... Uh, random fires everywhere. Random fires, I think. I feel maybe, like they need uh, too much control of their fire to have random fires, in my right? opinion. I think... Because I feel like they'd be just too full of themselves to say, I didn't cause a random fire because I... It's I respect or it respects me like I am its master. Mm, okay, I think look for signs of people who are already well off or in, in uh, power positions becoming even uh, richer. You know because they they would be the people that the uh, this type of genie is more likely to work with or at least give them the time of day. You yeah. know where everyone else is going the richer going to get richer, the poorer going to get poorer. Mm. I think mm. uh, in this area. So, but yeah, uh, combat, James. Similar to the water guys, very aggressive, but they're much more of a melee fighter. Mm-hmm. So I feel like they would use the firewall to circle up enemies and put them in a corner with the fire to their own back mm-hmm. and just beat the living hell out of them till everyone's dead. Yeah. Yeah, I like the idea. I would want to use them as the melee fighter, uh, especially because the mini itself, I have one painted up, is, is just so impressive and, mm-hmm. and imposing, and I like that big scimitar that they have. But I think tactically, uh, if I was going for the win as the DM, uh, I would probably use the ranged attack. That hurl flame is fantastic. If you can set that up with the wall of flame to limit the movement of the party, um, and then hit them with uh, with hurl flame until they get closer to you, and then you've still got your multi attack with that scimitar. So the hurl flame for me was working with the range DPS while I take out that barbarian and monk. Yeah, and the two range firing at me. Well, I can throw five d six at both of them. Yeah, you can use your hurl flame twice as well. Yeah, it's both can be done attack. twice. Whatever you want to use for the multi attack. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I um, I like the idea of them trying to intimidate. The whoever they're fighting, right? Like scare them so bad that that person's going to run away. Like I would use the enlarge, reduce spell. Major image would f- like factor in huge for it too. Yeah. Like maybe I would summon that uh, flame elemental and then use major image on it to make it something fucking crazy. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's pretty valid. Yeah, some D and D parties will retreat, though it is rare. Yeah, it's rare. Yeah, more of us should do it for sure. Yeah, but. But I mean, in the, I I don't remember what they had for charisma, right? But they're pretty, they're decent. Sixteen, yeah, sixteen. So I mean, yeah, you, you're still rolling intimidation rolls, right? Yeah, yeah make yeah. that party scared. Okay, Kyle, what do we have? Uh, we have the Dow. Uh, so they are native to the elemental plane of Earth, uh, but can also be found in the quasi-elemental plane of dust, the quasi-elemental plane of minerals. The para-elemental plane of magma and the para-elemental plane of ooze. Uh, they are tall, stocky, and muscular with skin like stone and standing or floating between 8 and 11 feet tall. The Dao can most often be found dripping in gaudy amounts of jewelry and carrying a big-ass maul. Um, when they use their flying speed, their legs turn into a swirling pool of sand. That trails behind them. Um, for lore, these guys are not super great beings. Um, what with their love of slavery and twisted wishes. Uh, they are generally neutral evil. Um, and they call the Great Dismal Cave on the elemental plane of Earth home. 
which is basically just a series of labyrinthian caves larger than most continents on the material plane and crafted by the hands of untold amounts of slaves. Uh, their greatest desire is to increase their wealth through amassing of precious gold, minerals, or ore, and slaves like all the other genies. Um, they are selfish and callous to the core. Um, they are inured to the poverty and suffering of others. They just do not give a shit if you are starving on the side of the street. Um, and they only ever help mortals when they have something which is usually monetarily monetary gain. So being the dicks they are, they pretty much only have a tenuous trade relationship with the Afridi, uh, but even that will not stop them from occasionally warring with the Afridi uh, on the plane of magma. Uh, they are so despised that even other creatures of the elemental plane of Earth avoid them for fear that they may become slaves in the Great Dismal Cave. Like all genies, uh, they hate the idea of being subservient to anyone and shackled to their service. Uh, it's just a shame for them that their greed can often overcome their common sense, making them prey to sufficiently powerful wizards uh, with the right resources to trick and capture them in an iron flask or magical gems. So originally they are were published in 1982, I think they were first edition, um, and have remained relatively unchanged since then as well. For their stat blocks, they are large, neutral evil elementals. Uh, their natural armor gives them an AC of 18, average hit points of 187, and 30 feet of walking, burrowing, and flying speed. They've got high strength in constitution, uh, and then like just a plus two to charisma, and then plus one to dex, intelligence, and wisdom. Uh, personally, I would have gone higher into an intelligence than charisma because they just seem like incredibly unlikable beings. So I don't get why it's high. Um, they also have plus five uh, for intelligent and wisdom saving throws and plus six to charisma ones, which just boo. It's like poor choices considering their stat blocks, but... Uh, they are immune to being petrified, which is actually a step down from them, uh, since they used to be immune to all earth-based earth magic. Uh, they have 120 feet of dark vision, which makes sense since they live in a cave, and passive perception of 11. Uh, they only speak Terran naturally, uh, but they do get the tongue spell like all the other genies. Um, so mechanically it works out, but I think they should have more than just the elemental one. Yeah, I feel like... Uh... Yeah, yeah. I feel like that should be setting dependent and genie dependent. Mm, yeah. Things like what slaves they have and where they got those slaves from. If Languages. they all came from the elemental plane of Earth or whatever, then yeah, they all speak Terran. Languages it, is the most common thing I change all the time. Yeah. I got Dragon yeah. Toad speaks common in my campaign. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so for abilities, they get Earth Glide, where they can basically sink into unworked and non magical stone without disturbing it. Um, Elemental Demise, so when they die, they basically just turn into um, a pile of crystalline powder, which I would definitely make a like magical death. component for something. Yeah, that's actually not a bad idea. Uh, <laughs> <down>. yeah. <laughs> that's where magic math comes from? D&D &D math. Uh, they get sure-footed, so they have advantage on strength and dex checks to avoid being knocked prone. Um, for spell casting, they have a DC of six and a plus six to, with spell attacks. At will, they get detect evil and good, uh, detect magic and stone shape. 
three times per day, they get Passwall, Move Earth, and Tongues. And then once per day, they can conjure an Earth Elemental, uh, Gaseous Form, Invisibility, Phantasmal Killer, and Wall of Stone. Um, they get two attacks using either their Fists or a Maul, which is the only genie to get an unarmed attack, as far as I'm aware. Yeah. Um, the Maul has the... Oh, for the Fist, uh, they can target one creature five feet away, uh, plus 10 to attack that deals 2d8 plus 6 bludgeoning. The Maul has the same attributes to hit, uh, but it does 46 plus 6 bludgeoning damage instead. And if the creature is huge or small, uh, it must succeed on a DC 18 strength check or be knocked prone. Yeah, that's rough, right? Because yeah. uh, once you get yourself in that position, you're fucked, basically. Yeah. yeah you're not getting out again. Okay, uh, let's hit the questions. Let's roll initiative. Give me that 20 die again. Oh, that little 16 right there, James. <laughs> I feel like you guys are making oh, me go for the furthest on. dice away every time. 19. 19. Right, right, right. Well, Kyle goes first. Uh, Quests. Uh, I thought about it posing as a merchant uh, somewhere in like a mountainous area. And okay. then uh, it tells the party, you know, um, oh, all these people have been kidnapped from me. But it's just his escaped slaves. So, mm-hmm. like, he basically recruits the party to go get his slaves back. God, that's brilliant, isn't it? I love it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was going to just lean right into the slaver thing, but I like your more interesting twist on it. Um, I think it's... Oh. <laughs> the editor's going to be like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's me, by the way. I like the idea of, uh, of a merchant not necessarily going back to get the slaves, although the idea is great. But uh, but you have just a vast amount of wealth and possessions, which you can then sell on, right? Okay. So it's all of these stolen goods coming from like ill-gotten gains, basically. <laughs> and the uh, you know the clues uh, to kickstart the quest would be that uh, nobles or people within the campaign are going to start to recognize these objects and like where yeah. do they come from, and you kind of have to follow the breadcrumbs from oh, there. Oh, interesting. Or there's like initials carved on something. Well, what I like is that. PCs or, or, or players hate to give up their items. Yeah. And so, like, those moral dilemmas of where they got this item from, this, please don't let me give this. Please don't make me give this. <laughs> please don't make me give this back. You can keep it. Just know where it came from. Yeah. That's all I'm okay, saying. Okay, I'll know where it came from. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I have no moral dilemma with that. Yeah. <laughs> I bought this from a store. Go talk to that store. Yeah, I don't know where you got it from. Uh, James? Uh, for me, I would have them being a lord of the town, sign them to go kill a dragon, and then when the party does kill the dragon, shows up and kills the party. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shit doesn't get that. JK, I was the big bad. JK, I was the yeah. big bad. Hold on. I would give them tons of, like, subtle clues that this guy isn't actually good. Yeah. But the party will go kill the dragon, because everyone wants their dungeons and dragon. Blast all yeah. their spells. Yeah. yeah. Bla- and then oh. everything. Show up with them flashing. Exactly. exactly. Everything. They've already used all their spell slots, yeah. so you're just spell fucking slots, them in the ass. Spell slots, down death saves, yeah. like, just oh. everything's a mess. And you show God. up and just wipe them out. I love it. But then I'd give them a campaign in the underworld. Mm, okay. That's how I would drive them to a different plane of existence. But also just throw them under the bus, cause yeah. sure, fuck you. Yeah, role playing, Kyle. Um, I mean, be real into gold. Like, just easily distracted by it. Like, if you have a player that's just like fiddling with a gold coin, like rolling it between their knuckles, like that. This guy cannot stop staring at it, and he mm-hmm. wants it. Yeah, he will do anything for it. I actually think um, 
if you've got like a devious and flashy rogue, this could make an excellent um, like social encounter for them to shine. Yeah. Right. So they've let's say they just rob someone and they're like sitting in a bar and this guy saddles up next to them in disguise mm-hmm. and then tries to lure him into doing something shady. I think leaning into the fact that they have zero compassion. And I think you should demonstrate that in the encounter, whether it's that they have, uh, you know, like uh, you guys have seen the Warcraft movie. You know, where he's, like, just sat with the slave next to the orc baddie, and he's just, like, pulling the life force out of it, just mm-hmm. casually, almost as though he's, like, smoking. Like, just okay. like that. But the, the social encounter is that they're, they're offering the party something or making a deal which sounds really good to them. But all the signs are there that this is not going to work out well. But again, just dangle that little carrot in front of them uh, and give them that moral dilemma of uh, should we do this or should we not do this? Not even a moral dilemma, uh, just a dilemma of whether or not it's going to be good for them or not uh, by demonstrating uh, no compassion, just absolute malice. James? For me, if you have a rogue that often likes to go off and do their own thing in this city, like go cause a criminal robbery or whatever, have this genie be outside the robbery every time. Right. So every time they commit a crime, they've seen it. And then have them go up to this rogue and get them to do a job that the rogue is not capable of. Mm-hmm. And okay. either the rogue, does the rogue now go to their party to complete this quest, potentially dragging everyone down with them, does he continue with it, or how does he deal with this genie? Especially if you have a rogue that's been a bit of a problem, I would give them this. Mm-hmm. Okay, Because yeah. now, like, you've always been a problem to the party. Are you going to be a real problem to the party? Yeah. Like, this is now your choice to be part of the team, or kindly die off. Okay, yeah, yeah. Let, let them dig their own yeah. grave kind of thing. I like, like that a lot. If you really want to be a problem and a nuisance to the party, you can either mm-hmm. continue to be a nuisance by yourself, and we'll run our own little, you're free doing crimes... Or you can be a nuisance with the party. Yeah. Make your choice. Cool idea. Exploration clues? Um, I mean, I think it would make a great NPC when traveling in mountainous areas. Um, they could act as a guide for the players after getting something from them. Um, or maybe give them the wrong directions, hoping to get them killed. Like, giving them directions to walk off a cliff so they can steal all their shit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're not really interested in getting involved unless they get something in return. Like, it's a tit-for-tat thing, so you need to include that aspect of it. I think for exploration, I'm a big fan of don't attack the characters, attack the players. and Whatever stresses the player, um, lean into that to stress that player, because then it feels like you're attacking the character, but you're not. You're creating more tension. I think with this character... Because you have the ability to like mold earth and shape essentially the like the the puzzle or whatever dungeon they're going through, you have a lot of opportunities to stress the party out by causing them, causing them to be divided, uh, changing the landscape on them, even having the genie because you can like pass through the earth, um, make it seem easy that he can get in and out of the situation. Like we'll revisit them if you take like the standard kind of five room dungeon and every room is so stressful, but he just pops in and out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that will really just rile the players up before they have to fight this big bad at the end. Um, yeah, I love attacking the players and I think, uh, I think this, uh, genie's abilities, uh, sets that up really well. Okay. Uh, there was, a a little thing written up as well that said they use, uh, Zorn right as scouts 
And I think that could be a fun idea, right? Like there's a, your party goes into a room, sees a Zorn, and then just immediately tunnels out and away. Yeah. Right? And they, so they just have that in the back of the mind. Oh, when is this guy going to come back? Right. right. And is it just going to be that or is it going to be something else too? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, combat, Kyle? Uh, it's running gun. It doesn't say it, but in my head canon, these guys are straight up cowards. They are going to be using their burrowing speed um, to get in and out away from heavy melee fighters and going after the soft targets. Mm-hmm. Right. These guys are going to fight fast and dirty. Yeah. I did this with a dragon recently, but it works just as well with this DAO, and it's all about stressing the players out again. I uh, used, I think it was a blue dragon has a burrowing speed. I grappled a player and then buried underground with him and then fucking left him there. Yeah. <laughs> Figure it out. I'd be doing this shit all over the place. Mold, earth, burying people, burying yeah. some people up, burying some people down. Fuck you, come get me. Stress. Yeah. Uh, and then just, uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I'd be doing, because then it's a lot of uh, stuff vacation mechanics and uh you never probably never even have to hit them with the mall once uh yeah so that'll stress people up <laughs> in my combat tactics for me very hit and run mm. you won't be in the same place twice you'll get out and any fight where they're below like go down a third in health they're gone yeah yeah they're not sticking around to half health yeah they think they're even an inkling they're gonna lose. Mm-hmm. They're out of there. So mm-hmm. you as a party need to find a way to keep them if you want to beat them. Yeah. Yeah. True that. All right. So before we wrap this episode up, let's cut to our last ad break. If you've been inspired by the conversation in this episode, please feel free to reach out and share your creativity and ideas with us and the rest of the community. You can reach us on Facebook and Instagram or on our subreddit, r slash it's a mimic. Also, if you're feeling particularly generous, please follow and subscribe and leave us positive reviews, likes, and comments. Engagements like that help us pop up on search engines and keep this show running. All right, guys. Uh, Do you have any final thoughts or inspirations in regards to these genies? I think my final thoughts are to lean into more than just their attacks, but mm-hmm. if whatever they're able to manipulate with their own elements, whether it's uh, burying or like the whirlwinds or, or, or whatever it be, that is what's going to make the um, the encounters much more memorable for the players as opposed to just got hit with scimitar. Yeah. So, yeah. Lean into that stuff. For me, I would avoid using any of the genie as the main bad guy. Have them in your campaign and have it up to the party to decide if they're helpful or not. Right. So yeah. the party's actions up to the final fight decide if that genie's going to be helpful to them. Yeah. It mm-hmm. may be helpful in the form of fighting with them or getting them equipment or having allies sending their slaves over to fight with the party. But they also may send the bad guy the slaves to help or the equipment to help or that one item that they know the party is uh, are not immune to or varies like, susceptible to, gives it to the bad guy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, For me, I would say avoid combat with them at all costs. I think they are more of social encounter than anything else, and I think they could provide some lighthearted moments and some scary moments and just, you know, really try to get your players thinking outside the box. Um, I, I agree that 
I don't, I don't really see them as the big bad, but I do like them as the right-hand man, right? Mm-hmm. As being enslaved to a powerful wizard or entity. And so you're just trying to mislead the party with this guy. Mm-hmm. But the whole time, he is beholden to somebody else. Yeah. So that's all for this discussion on Genie in 5th Edition. Make sure that you subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Next week, we'll be looking at the variant rules that revolve around the exploration pillars. Thank you for listening to another episode of the It's a Memory podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website. That's www.itsamimic.com, a store with some It's a Mimic merch and a Patreon. This episode and others can also be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and most of the podcast apps. Thank you again for listening to the It's a Mimic podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Please check the show notes for this episode to see links, time codes, and credits, and don't forget to reach out and share your own inspirations. Arguably, I barely said YouTube correctly. YouTube! I'm a real good reader. Welcome to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast where we continue our conversation on monsters. Oh, fuck, I said monsters. 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 Never watched it, actually. See you next Tuesday.